Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast, where we explore the exciting science behind heart rate variability. The material discussed in this podcast should not be taken as medical advice. Please check with your medical provider to make sure any suggestions or strategies are right for you. Visit us at the OptimalHRV.com website to learn more about the Optimal HRV app, download a free copy of Matt's book, Heart Rate Variability, and also get show notes and additional resources around heart rate variability and its applications. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am back with Dr. Dave Hopper uh, to continue our series on healthy breathing. Uh, Dave, I know uh, we've had two of our friends on in between uh, Anna and Janelle uh, since since we last spoke to you and really enjoyed those conversations, but also uh, excited to get back uh, to the, the, the concept of healthy breathing. So, um, for those of the, you that uh, did not hit Ina's episode and Dave's first episode, I, I would suggest you go back to the Healthy Breathing series. Won't be too far back in your feed. Uh, I think four ago uh, was where we started out with Ina. Dave had a great follow-up where we talked about nasal breathing. Uh, but Dave, we didn't get much past the nose. So I know we've got, we've got some ground yet to cover. Uh, so I, I think we, we kind of left off, uh, with the, the concept of, uh, the diaphragm. And, uh, so let's just pick up from there, my friend. Um, what, what, the, what is the diaphragm? I know we're going to talk a little bit about posture, as well. So, so I'll just throw that pitch over the plate to you and, uh, Hey, take it from there. All right. Perfect. Well, happy to be back and, uh, and, and getting the rest of this in. Um, and yeah, I tend to get stuck cause it's just a, you know, our nose or mouth, such interesting things there. Yes. Um, but, uh, but yes, when we talk about breathing, you can't really talk about breathing without talking about your diaphragm. Um, so that is your main muscle of, of inspiration. So when we talk about actually moving air into the thoracic cavity, into your lungs, uh, your diaphragm is doing the majority of the work. And actually, uh, when you're at complete rest, so Matt, like you and I, and probably most people listening to this right now, your diaphragm would be doing pretty much all of the work. Um, so that is going to be pulling all the air in. So as I, as you actually inhale, you are going to have that diaphragm is going to move down. And then that is going to create more space in your thoracic cavity and your lungs can expand, fill with air. And then as you relax, that is going to push back up um, or relax back up. And, uh, and actually to an extent, your internal organs actually help push uh, air back out of your lungs and your thoracic cavity too. It's kind of cool how all that works and plays in. Um, and then everything pushes back out. So that's a relatively passive, easy process. Um, so uh, that's- Well, let, let, can I stop you there just yeah, for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Because I would like to pretend I know what the diaphragm is. I'd like to pretend. I'd like to say, I think I could point to it. But I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play probably more real than uh, ignorant here. We talk about the diaphragm. We talk about diaphragmatic breathing. Just what what the heck is the diaphragm? 
So great question. Uh, great, great job pedaling me back there. Um, so, so yes, your, your diaphragm is a muscle. It's a sheet of muscle and it acts exactly like, um, like what you would, uh, imagine a diaphragm. It's a, it's a thin sheet of muscle that is going to be going, um, across your rib cage, not at the bottom of your rib cage. Like most people assume it is, oh, it's really? more, it's more middle of your rib cage. Um, I want to say, uh, I want to say it's like level T8, uh, but I could be off a couple levels there. Nobody knows what that means. Well, I'm not saying nobody because for the chiropractors out there, maybe, but but you, you got to give me a di diaphragm. I, I, T what? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yes, uh, the, the thoracic level. Uh, but um, anyway, it is more mid-thoracic mid level is where you're going to find that uh, mid to lower thoracic level. And, uh, and as that flattens out and exerts, it's going to move down. So that's, that's how that muscle contracts. Um, so when it contracts, the muscle flattens. Um, and so for those of you who are watching, you can kind of see what I'm gonna do with my hands here. So I have them nice and caved up like that. That's how it's sitting in a relaxed position. And then as that muscle tightens and tenses up, it's gonna flatten, it's gonna flatten out. And then it's going to relax and come back up there. Um, so that is what we have, uh, how our diaphragm is actually is actually working there. Um, so, so let me, this is fascinating to me. So, so let, let's, let's, let's get into this a little bit because this is, this is sort of new to me. And it's one of those things I think in the kind of take the deep breath world, we talk about maybe without fully understanding it, as we've learned, don't take a deep breath, uh, take a low and slow breath. Uh, so yes. when, when I, so, so, okay, so I'm going to, and if you're not on video here, I'm just going to try to verbally do. So, so I'm going to move down. I'm starting at my neck. So my, my rib cage here is my diaphragm kind of where my ribs start to split there. Like, like, is it more yes. the heart area? Like, like, help me understand, help me point to my diaphragm. Yes. So, so you would be around the level of your sternum, uh, around the level of the bottom of your sternum okay. is, is where we're talking. Yes. So, um, and then, and then it goes around the ribs. Correct. And it is, okay. uh, it, it is going to completely connect the inside of your body all the way around your body at that level. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, so it's complete. It's a complete circle on the inside of your body. It totally divides your thoracic cavity, which is where your, um, which is where your lungs and your um, and your heart and uh, all that is. And then you have your uh, and then you have your stomach or your abdominal cavity, um, which is going to be the portion below your diaphragm. So your diaphragm is is hanging out uh, in that area in between, but it but it moves down and pushes and opens that thoracic cavity. And then when it comes up, it shortens that thoracic cavity. Does that make sense? Okay, so on the inhale, it goes down and pulls in air. Yes. Correct. And on the exhale, it comes back to its upper position. position. Correct. Okay, okay. Maybe I'm jumping ahead here. So if I am, just stop me. It, Chest breathing, that makes sense. It, it Belly makes, breathing. Yeah. I, I I need some help. So I don't know if it makes sense to talk chest 
versus belly at this point? Because I, I, is, are we there yet? Or do you need to give us a little bit more background? Well, we, we can definitely get right into that. Um, but because there's a lot more to the story. Right? Okay. So, um, Tell the so, story. Tell the story. I'll keep, I'll keep my mouth shut for a while. So I'm going to make a similar uh, I'm going to make a similar arch here. So now, now my hands are no longer your diaphragm, but they're your rib cage. Um, so, and actually I'll put my fingers like this. So it looks a little bit more like ribs, right? Um, so your rib cage sits like this. And as you breathe in, your ribs actually expand out and up. So this is obviously isn't an exaggeration, but they do this kind of motion as you breathe in, right? So that's also opening up that thoracic cavity. Now, it's opening it in another dimension, right? It's not, so it's not just opening down from our diaphragm, but it's also opening to the sides. It's expanding out. So if you, so if everybody listening, if you take a deep breath right now and you have your hands on your ribs or you can feel where your ribs are at, you can feel that rib cage goes out to the side. Okay. And you can feel it actually kind of comes up a little bit too. And then when you exhale, especially if you exhale with force, you can feel that rib cage shrinks back down and in. Um, so those are, those are some other things that are also happening, but those are accessory breathing muscles that are going to be doing a lot of that work. And this is getting into uh, a bit of what Ina was talking about when you talk about, um, you know, chest breathers and, and incorrect breathing types. Um, but, uh, but those are things that we don't want to be doing all of the time. Don't get me wrong. We want our rib cage to be expanding in and out with each breath, but our diaphragm should be the main mover. So if you are sitting, uh, like so Matt, you and I are sitting, but you're sitting with nice proper posture, right? Um, if you're standing or sitting and you're leaning forward and you're crunched up, all of a sudden your diaphragm can't do its job anymore, right? Okay. So so if you, if you lean over, like if you're crouched, like you're typing at your computer or you're driving and you're leaning forward, right? You're bent forward. Um, try to take a deep breath that way, right? You can't yeah. take nearly as deep of a breath yeah. in that position. Whereas if you sit up nice and tall, oh, you can really fill your lungs very deep, yeah. right? Um, because that muscle has so much more room to move. Now, if you're there chronically, what starts to happen. So if you're in that bent over forward position working all the time, uh, what starts to happen is that you start to rely a lot more on, uh, on these accessory breathing muscles. So, so your rib cage has to expand more to make up for that room. But another thing that has to happen is you have to start using the apices of your lungs. So that's referring to the top part of your lungs. And you're, you're laughing as I say I, this. I am. I, I, um... I have this massage chair that I love to death and it's amazing how sore I get right there at the, not quite the neck area, but about a few inches down, right where you were pointing after a day of typing. And so uh, are you leaning forward in that chair by chance? Uh, probably. Uh, yeah, I, I would say, you know, I have one of those chairs where my knees, I'm not sitting down, but I, I've got the thing where my butt's up and then my knees go behind. Oh, a kneeling um, chair. Yeah. So it helps with that. And so I have to like with my core, keep, keep good posture. But, but I think the longer the day goes, the more I, I catch myself, uh, you know, bowing, uh, even though it's kind of uncomfortable to do so with this chair on purpose. 
<laughs> yes. Well, well, uh, chairs like that are awesome. I actually, uh, I actually have a patent on one such chair uh, that we are uh, um, trying to release to the world at the moment to help with proper posture and core stability during that. I cannot wait to get my sitting. Dr. Dave chair. <laughs> um yes <laughs> i i hope everybody gets a dr dave chair um my friend but, this uh, is what i love doing podcasts with you because we we talk every week i had no idea you had a pad on a chair so uh, i just have to throw that in i, I enjoy our <laughs> friendship in so many ways yes yes no it's uh, I'll, uh i should send you some uh, prototype uh, oh i'd love to see you absolutely cool. um so uh and and I can't share those with everybody. Sorry, um, <laughs> but um, but when when you're in that posture, and when I say apices of lungs, you're talking about the tops of your lungs. So what most people don't realize is that your lungs go uh, they go fairly low, and everybody knows that. Okay, yeah, you know my lungs are my lungs are down here somewhere, right? Um, but then what most people don't realize is that your lungs also come way up to here. And for those of you listening, um, I'm pointing at what would be referred to as like my traps or my trapezius muscle, um, you know, so the top point of my shoulder here. And your lungs are right there as well. Um, that's the apex of your lung. So that area is not normally supposed to be used. It's there to be reserved for times of large physical exertion, right? So like if you're running from a tiger or exercising really hard, right? Doing a CrossFit competition or, or running sprints or something, right? Um, that's when you would use those other areas of your lungs. Um, now, if you're bent over like this all day and using those other muscles, uh, those, uh, those accessory breathing muscles, because you can't access the bottom part of your lungs, now these muscles, so Matt, like you were pointing, yeah. These muscles have to tighten up so that they can, because their job is to pull the top ribs off of those lungs to expand that part of the lung. So yeah. now they're making more room up there for breathing. Um, and then that's when you see, uh, you know, like people like uh, uh, may, maybe like yourself uh, to an extent, Matt, uh, although you are sitting with, uh, with excellent posture. Um, when you go to palpate the muscles through here, which are called your scalene muscles, uh, they are very tender and very mm -hmm. tight. Uh, when we look at the upper trapezius muscles, a lot of times those are very tight yeah. as well. Uh, when we look at your, your levator scapular muscles, those kinds of things, um, those tend to get very tight in people who are chronically in a posture like that and chronically breathing uh, through the wrong part of their lung. Um, so that's, you know, importance of using your diaphragm, things that can go wrong when you're, when you're not using it correctly. And then, of course, that also spills back over into the things that we were talking about last week, um, which was uh, which was that also plays into that forward head posture um, that you know where you're going to start getting the the discomfort at the low back of the head there, um, where your jaw is going to be in an improper position, and on and on and on, right? Um, yeah. Because I think we we even in addition to talking about nasal breathing, we did talk about tongue posture and yeah, we did, how your mouth yeah. should be during breathing and all that, right? Could, yeah. could I ask you so. a quick question? And this is this probably falls into the bucket of stupid questions only Matt cares about. But but I got I gotta I gotta ask it while we're on this part of the lungs. One of the things in my Qigong practice, and I'm not training for anything. I'm a hiker walker at this point, so nothing nothing vigorous as far as 
you know, much cardio. I just, I just love to, you know, go five, six mile walks or hikes at this point or longer ones on the weekend. So I'm not doing a ton of cardio where I have to, and being in Colorado, sometimes just walking, you have to take in a little bit more air. But, but there's, there's this practice in Qigong, which I found was interesting. It's called Taoist breathing. Uh, Buddhist breathing is, in this tradition, is through belly breathing traditionally. Taoist breathing is chest breathing. And I was like, I don't have any research whatsoever why I would practice taking a, an upper chest breath during my morning mindfulness routine. But I'm like, hey, you know, a few thousand years of tradition let's give it a shot. What I found the first time I did it, something actually popped. <laughs> I don't know what popped. I, I don't I have no idea. I, but like I heard something viscerally like just kind of pop, not break, not anything like that, but just like maybe like pop in a knuckle lightly like, oh, okay, something hasn't been used in a while sort of sound. And I, I was doing this because I would see my, when I was doing my tracking my uh, heart rate variability during using bi our biofeedback measure, I could still see I could get a lot of variation while a really focused mindfulness breathing into the, the upper chest during a residency frequency, uh, residence frequency breathing session. But the interesting thing about this is I felt really weak up here, um, which I don't know if that matters or not, but I felt really weak up here, which I didn't really care about until I got an upper Tory respiratory infection called COVID. And the first time I got COVID, I hadn't been practicing this very much. Uh, the second time I got COVID, I've been practicing it for like a year and a half. And there was a huge difference in how I experienced it. And it could have been, I had a couple of vaccinations in me. It could have been a lot of variables that I can't track out. But I just kind of wonder, is there any reason, because I can't find it in the research, to do upper chest breathing practices at all that, that you have found? Again, maybe we can just put this in the stupid Mac question that only he cares about. But I found it really interesting is I built the strength in my upper chest at least the second bout of COVID was much easier for me from a breathing perspective uh, than the first bout. So to speak to any research that I'm familiar with exactly on that, um, I, I do not know any offhand. However, um, like the Wim Hof type methods of breathing, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, um, are, are you familiar with yes. those at all? Okay. The, so, the um, dude that likes the cold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and, and does some quite, quite amazing feats. Um, yeah. But, but that kind of stuff, like when you are doing that, you know, very fast, quick. Yeah, that, that's what you're referring to, correct? Well, no, because I'm doing it in my RF breathing rate. Oh, so which that's, is four that's what I was confused because you said RF breathing rate in that but you said uh, taking short uh, upper chest. No, no uh, not rate. short. So uh, RF, and my RF is four a minute, so they're pretty long. You know, they're 15-second inhale, exhales. Well, 15, four breaths per minute. So everybody can do the math on that. But so they're, they're long. And you're doing it all in your... So really up here, expanding upper chest. Huh. 
Um, yeah, I, I cannot say that I, I could, uh, I could refer to any research exactly on that. However, um, anything that is going to be expanding a different area of your chest is going to be stimulating something that you may not normally be stimulating. Yeah. Um, and within your lungs, uh, you have all sorts of, uh, macrophages, uh, and other little, little helpers that are going to that are going to kill anything that comes into your, into your lungs. So anything that does make it past our amazing filtration system of our nose, um, which a a virus is definitely small enough to make it past, um, something that does get down into our lungs. Uh, we do have these little guys down there that are going to, uh, that are going to help attack these things and hopefully kill them and wipe them out. Uh, and get them out of our lungs before they do cause any problem. Uh, unfortunately, in, uh, in your case, it sounds like twice uh, <laughs> yeah, your system yeah. got beaten there. Yeah. Um, but uh, but hey, you know what? Uh, it, it's um, it, you can look at it like it was immune system training. Yeah, um, you know, uh, yeah, like, that upper respiratory. Yeah. I like yeah. said, you know, and, and the other thing I should put in here is that I belly breathe every other besides the probably ten minutes of my practice that I do with that the Taoist breath every other breath that I take pretty much during the day is this through the belly. So, so it's also an, it was an odd experience of just, it, it's kind of like the first time you snowboard in the season. Like there are certain muscles that I use in snowboarding that I just don't use in anything else in my life. And right. you kind of feel those muscles after the first day, by the end of the season, they're kind of broken in. So that's when I started to do this breathing. It just felt like, there were muscles up here that, that I weren't using that may or may not have played in with my second bout of COVID. So that, that's, I, I just thought it was an interesting strategy because like you, I had no really research basis on why to do this, but because I do stomach breathing every other breath pretty much throughout my day, I, I've continued it. One, because I, I strength up here helped me during an upper respiratory infection and I can see my heart rate variability during practice maintains uh, while I'm up there. So I don't feel like I'm doing any harm in to myself. Like I, I've got data to show it's no worse uh, for what I'm training than if I do belly breathing. So it's like, yeah, you know, uh, this, this, this is just fun to play around with. So. Yeah, no, that, that is cool. And it never hurts to stimulate a different area uh, of the lungs, uh, just, uh, just like you were comparing with the muscles. It, it's only going to be something that, uh, that helps in the long term with training. I'm not encouraging chest breathing for everybody. Yeah. Neither but, am I. Neither am I. Yeah. Uh, uh, but doing something that does stimulate that part of your lungs on a regular basis is a good idea anyway. Um, you know, it's like people who exercise intensely regularly will get that. So if you're not exercising intensely, might breathing like that do a similar thing? very possible. Um, and might that stimulation help with, uh, you know, battling something up? Absolutely. Uh, because we do know, you know, in terms of COVID, uh, people who simply exercise on a regular basis did significantly better, um, than, uh, than those who did not. So, uh, it, it's very possible. All right. So upper chest breathing. Yeah, Matt, you're weird, but let's, let's talk about, because I used to breathe all through my upper chest. That, that's what I learned back like, uh, 20 years ago is, I was breathing wrong, which is a really horrible thing to learn about yourself. Like I screw up so much in my life breathing, but you know, so because in in Western culture, at least we all, no matter who we are, usually want to have that chest sticking out. Right. And and I was just fascinated when I first heard sort of about 
diaphragmatic or, or belly breathing, I'm like, am I really screwing up breathing? And turns out I was. So, so let's, let's keep, let's keep moving down. Uh, uh, and let's, let's, uh, if we're ready to, to look at the, the belly breathing. It, yes. So, uh, so when you say that, that's funny because, um, because yeah, you can, you can think about, you know, when you're trying to be at the beach and you got your, uh, you're trying to hold your stomach nice and flat while you're walking yep. around and, you know, yep, nope. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, when in reality, yes, that's, uh, that's not where you want to be. Um, so letting your stomach naturally uh, move out and back in with each breath is the best thing. And the reason why is not because your belly is doing anything, but because your diaphragm. So we're, we're going back to that diaphragm because uh, when your diaphragm skirts down, uh, so when it pushes down, it's literally pushing your abdominal contents, not just forward, but in every direction. So in reality, if you were to hold your hand, so like if I cupped my waist, uh, you know, with my hands like this, um, I would want to feel on each inhale, not only my abdomen, uh, not only my abdomen moving straight forward, but I'd want to feel the sides of my stomach expanding. And I also want to feel the back, uh, my lower back. So the backside of my, of my stomach, right. Um, wow. I want to feel that expanding too. And for a lot of people, they can usually get the, they can usually get the feel on the front and the sides but a lot of people have a, a real hard time with that, with that uh, posterior side. Um, so you, again, you, Oh, go ahead. On your regular, sorry. <laughs> this is great podcasting. We're going to win an award for this episode <laughs> between questions. Um, I guess I can't do like on your normal breath. Does your, does your, the back of your abdomen, I, I can't, uh, I can't answer that because I, I, I don't always have my hands there, but I know that if I, if I palpate, I can definitely make it happen. Okay. Interesting. Um, and I like, yeah, to, I, and I like yeah. to think that it's happening. So you should breathe out in a cylinder. So your whole abdomen, uh, the whole way around should expand out and back in. Of course, on the back, you're going to have the lowest amount of movement because well, you have a lot of really strong muscles on the back side of your body. Plus yeah. you have this thing called your spinal column back there. So, you know, there's, there's some things in the way. Um, but on the front side, our abdominal muscles, despite what you want them to look like should not always be flexed. <laughs> so, so just when I oil up for the model shoots, right? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so those should be relaxed enough um, that they're not always tensed. Um, and then same, you know, you shouldn't have, uh, you, know, you shouldn't have anything limiting your uh, abdomen from moving forward and to the sides with each breath in. Um, so that's, that's the true mark of health is, uh, is somebody who can, uh, who can really move their abdomen, not like that, not a, uh, not a six pack. <laughs> so, so now let's, let's bring that back. So, so quick question. This is just one uh, you could probably just swing the bat at and knock it out. Um, is every breath a diaphragmatic breath? Is the diaphragm always, whether I'm chest breathing or stomach breathing, is is that a? I'm assuming that's always happening. Um, I, I'm sorry. Can you repeat? So, that? does the diaphragm, no matter how we breathe, is it doing that that flexing that you showed us? 
Yes, it is too. So it's uh, without a doubt to a point, okay. you know, even if you're totally crunched over, it's trying Still. to do that. Um, is this it's pulling just, air into your upper chest then? Would it, am I correct there? Yes, you have to create okay. negative space. Uh, so, so you have to create negative space or negative pressure rather within your chest cavity for your lungs to expand. So that space has to come from somewhere. Um, and your diaphragm is the biggest source of that okay. space. So like even when you're totally crunched over or something, it's going to, you'll notice it's harder to breathe, but is your diaphragm still trying to excrete down? Absolutely. Is it okay? Um, that's not something that you have control over which muscles you try to use for breathing. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, yes. you can, you can intentionally do, you know, yes. puff your chest yeah. way up. Um, and, and yeah, you know, you can absolutely get that going, but, um, but you know, your diaphragm is going to go up and down. Uh, regardless, it's just how much movement is actually allowed with each breath, uh, cool. which is why we want to have that good posture. And um, I, I do want to actually uh, talk about uh, your core really yes. quick in relation to breathing too. But uh, did you have another question prior? Yeah, to I guess my other question is when I, as a, as a practice belly breather, uh, you know, I don't feel much expansion at all on my low and slow breathing anywhere in my ribs. So what, like almost zero, like, so am I still using my diaphragm as much as with belly breathing? Cause. Yes. Okay. You're, you're, you're arguably only using your diaphragm or, or majority, which is good. And that is okay. Really so I'm still using thing. my diaphragm, even though my, my ribs aren't really moving a ton. Correct. Okay. Cause, it, Cause your diaphragm moving down, if your diaphragm has enough room, you don't have to flare your ribs out as much. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, uh, and again, these are things that our body figures out for us, right? Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> Because you, you wouldn't want to have to be in charge of that, right? Oh, right, I think right, that I have right. way, way too much other stuff to breath. think about. Yeah. yeah, like your chair, like your chair. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, all, right, all right, let's talk about the core. So, so it, something that is so interesting, and the more and more that I learned about this, the more uh, the, the cooler it was. Oh, uh, quick aside, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping back here, but that pop that you said that you heard with your yeah. breathing. Um, that can, uh, that can, a lot of times I imagine that you felt some relief and possibly yeah. felt like you could breathe deeper right after. So most likely, um, you had a rib that was slightly displaced, um, which is not an uncommon thing at all. Probably most people listening to this have some kind of slight displacement of a rib or two. Um, and, uh, and if you took a deep breath in, that might've been enough force to actually make that rib literally pop back into place uh, and where you would actually find quite a bit of relief. Cause now instead of that rib being fixed in place and not moving up and down with each breath, now all of a sudden, when you take that breath in, that rib can rotate as it's supposed to and not have any restriction. So wow, that, that helps because I had no idea what popped in. It kind of felt like it was a rib popping, but that made like zero sense to me once I realized I had damaged myself and needed to call 911 uh because I broke something <laughs> I was like what so that 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 really helps because I'm like how does how's a real where's that coming from and thank you <laughs> yes yes um okay so back to the core stability so how that works um 
when you talk about core stability and when you talk about, you know, uh, working your core right at the gym, uh, most people think about your rectus abdominis or what makes up your six pack muscles. Um, there's actually eight of them. Uh, so, so if you only have six, you're really lacking. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it is far from that. So we have a muscle called our transverse abdominis. Have you ever heard of this, Matt? I have not. Okay. So, so we have four layers of abs. Uh, we have our rectus abdominis, which is the ones that we see. Then we have our obliques, which everybody has heard of. And those guys come in at an oblique angle, right? Uh, we have internal and external obliques. So there's two layers of those and those completely wrap uh, our body. And then we have um, a transverse abdominis, which is the deepest layer of abdominals. And that is like your own weightlifting belt. So if you put on a weightlifting belt, um, it, you basically are, you're actually limiting the function of your own transverse abdominis, uh, fun fact. Uh, which is why I say to not wear a weightlifting belt, unless you have a significant injury or, uh, or you're like maxing out or something like that. Um, hmm. but, um, anyway, uh, when you take a breath in, when you're breathing properly and your diaphragm moves down, that air is pushing, or I'm sorry, that, that is pushing all of the abdominal contents out. And then that recoil action is actually happening from your transverse abdominals. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that's, that's helping to an extent. So if you are breathing properly, you're actually doing core training, which is really kind of cool. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm working my abs just by, <laughs> just, just by breathing right. properly. Um, so it's, uh, so that is, you know, that's, that's also something that's kind of cool about this is that if you are breathing properly, you are actually strengthening your core within that process. And then there's a whole nother layer to this, which we won't get into as well, but you also have an additional diaphragm in your pelvic floor that should, exp uh, that should expand and contract with each breath as well. Um, uh, so, so and, uh, yeah, I keep going. I may have some pelvic floor <laughs> questions towards the end, but uh, I, I want to make sure we get through this before Matt asks another stupid Matt question. So. No, no, you're you're fine. But that so that diaphragm is is another muscular diaphragm <clears throat> made up of several different muscles. Um, but that's where, like, uh, you know, women who've given birth, for example, have a lot of trouble with incontinence. Um, and uh, and if if they work those muscles through proper breathing and proper core training. Uh, and then you can actually uh, do a lot of exercises specifically for those muscles. Um, you know, Kegels is one such exercise that has gotten a lot of, you know, uh, publicity. Mm -hmm. um, but there is things that you can do such as that to help strengthen that diaphragm as well. Um, so it's, it really is a whole stacked system that we have here. And that's where I, uh, you know, uh, like anything in the human body, you can never just focus on one piece of it. Uh, it's literally the entire thing plays into everything that we do. So, so okay, pelvic floor. Uh, I, I found it in her. So, uh, Tai Chi, Qigong. I, I like to joke that I, my pelvic floor can uh, influence the uh, rotation of the earth at this point. I've contracted it so much. So <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll ever use it, but don't mess with my pelvic floor. Uh, so so when I, when I mentioned the Buddhist breathing or the Taoist breathing, um, there is a contraction and release of the pelvic floor intentionally um either on the inhale or exhale depending on 
the method you're using. And just, you know, uh, so if, if you're a Qigong fan like I am, you're really, what they, they say in Qigong is that it helps to the chi to flow. Um, whatever you think about chi, that, that's like the theory uh, behind it is that it helps. And it sounds like, again, this is a little bit where science is backing up that traditional thinking, though I know the breath to chi is a, is a jump that would, that would, takes a lot more to fill in those blanks. Um, should, you know, it sounds like that, that contraction, though, would help with the breathing, but, but I guess I, I've never understood as a kind of a, a second diaphragm. So when, when I breathe without the intentional contraction and release, how, how does that kind of play in to, to the, the, the breathing um, that I'm doing normally? Um, like how does that expand and contract as well? Is that what you Yeah, mean? so like on the inhale, it sort of relaxes, I think, and on the exhale contracts or? It, yes, yes, so you okay. that right. So we should, so that a diaphragm, and I guess uh, we can do it this way. Right, so it's going to move down and then back up. So gotcha, like that. And of course, there's not that much, that significant of a of a movement, um, but it is something that you would work on. So, like, say you were doing exercises uh, specifically for that, you would, um, you know, you could do one where you literally have, um, you know, your hand or your fingers on your perineum, um, and you would be doing breathing exercises, preferably in a laying position um, uh, face up and you can, and you can feel that move with some yeah. of those breaths. Um, yeah, yeah it's interesting that there's biofeedback specifically for that as well, which I, I mm -hmm. found, I, I'm rereading Nina's book because I do that every about three months. Uh, uh, when I realize there's more, I still need to learn and go back and reinforce, but you know, that that's actually a form of biofeedback, which I found, uh, fascinating. Uh, again, something that I've learned in a, a historical tradition that, uh, like I said, every exhale, that that contraction, and it does, I, I find, when I'm really focused, that there's almost like almost another level beyond, like I'm opening up the hips, I guess would be the best way to describe it on the inhale, um, you know, which, which is a whole like different sort of area that I never breathe was able to kind of breathe into like, can I get this down to my toes? Like, like, like I don't think so, but it's like, what is this that, that I'm playing around with? But the, seeing that as a diaphragm, it does feel like there's some space opening up there where I don't know, breath going into it probably isn't the right word, but really expands on that inhale as well. Well, like a lot of types of uh, meditation, you know, maybe, uh, and then they may do this in the Qigong that you do, uh, but they do, you know, they focus on breathing, breathing into, you know, your, I, I believe that's your root chakra, right? Uh, yeah. Breathing down into, into that, breathing down into, you know, um, it, that is something that you focus on. And that's the best way of describing it. Um, yep. I, I guess you can say, is air actually going there? No, but uh, in, in a way, right? Through your, uh, yeah. through blood flow, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. um but yeah. yeah, there is, there is specialists. Actually, I refer to, um, I refer to, uh, uh, my favorite, uh, pelvic floor specialists up here, uh, quite often. Um, and, uh, and she's a physical therapist who has, a uh, you know, a pelvic floor women's health is 
all she works on that and uh, diastasis recti, uh, which is uh, a splitting of the abdomen that happens during pregnancy um, and happens with, uh, with guys with beer bellies too. Um, it, it can happen for other reasons too, but those are, those are the most common. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, um, but that causes core instability, which causes improper breathing and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, any woman who is, um, who is pregnant and starts seeing me, I, I have them start seeing uh, her at the same time so that they can start training their pelvic floor so that they have spontaneous reconnection. Uh, it, they do core exercises and pelvic floor exercises uh, so that they can have spontaneous reconnection of their abdomen post-pregnancy. Um, and as well, uh, that they don't have some of those not so fun uh, afterbirth effects uh, that, that a lot of women do suffer from. Awesome. So you're saying we might have a guest where we can talk about the pelvic floor for an entire hour. Oh, she would, uh, she would love it. She <laughs> I a, would love she's that. She's a complete hoot. Uh, yeah, she's a very fun lady. So I know we're, we're about hitting time here. I, I wanted to, to, to see if there's anything else that, that we need to cover, but also, you know, I think some of the connections here to heart rate variability are, 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 are pretty obvious. Every, everything we're, we've talked about and really this three episodes so far, we know that there's a lot of data out there, supports ventral vagal functioning, helps regulate sympathetic functioning. So, so I just kind of want to throw a question. Anything else that uh, we, we still need to cover and any connections that you sort of want to make between what we're covering and heart rate variability as well? Oh, uh, Matt, you cut out in the very last part of that question there. So, so heart rate, anything else we need to cover and specifically around heart rate variability that, that we'd want to throw in here? So I, I, the biggest thing with any of this, uh, you know, which, which continues to be the thread is to, uh, is to make sure that your breaths are not short, that you're not in a, in a crouched position, that you are allowing your diaphragm to fully excurt down so that your overall posture is correct. And of course, starting with oral and tongue posture, um, breathing through your nose and, uh, and taking that slow, long inhale and the, and then your exhale, which can actually be through your mouth or your nose. Um, but that is, that is what is going to provide, uh, for the best overall, uh, overall results. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, but that, you know, that in relation to HRV uh, is going to give the best long-term results as well. Um, so those would be the biggest things, uh, the biggest things to highlight, the biggest things to focus on is that, uh, you know, give your body a chance. Um, your autonomic nervous system is, is just the most fantastic um, thing that we are all gifted with. Um, so let it do its job. Just put yourself in a good position to do it. Um, and for those of you working on computers all day, buy my chair. <laughs> yes, Dr. Dave's chair. I cannot wait. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, well, someday soon. But. Awesome. And the really cool thing about this too, that I really encourage, if you're on an app like ours, where you can do uh, the biofeedback while following a breathing pacer, again, your RF frequency, really can play around with this stuff. One of the things I enjoy because I get bored really quick is, you know, I had a question is, does my chest breathing, because everything I've kind of read says that should probably deactivate my ventral vagal and my heart rate should go up, my heart rate variability should go down. But I don't know if it's because of my focus, uh, my practice with it is that I see, I see a, a maintaining 
uh, that great sort of up and down on my heart rate uh, as I'm monitoring it uh, when I'm doing my practice. So the, the great thing about this is you can try different positions, you can try to adjust um, and, and really measure how this is impacting your heart rate variability. So, you know, with that, that low and slow breath, the extended exhale, um, all those things uh, is that you can sort of measure and sort of find, you know, that's why I love about RF frequency or RF breathing rate. I've got mine, like I've got it. And, you know, I can practice it on the app. I can get the, the heart rate variability uh, metrics on it, but I can also just use it. I like to use it when I'm like head up the, the chairlift uh, to get a snowboarding run in, or, you know, just if I'm sitting around and just kind of maybe on a break from work and just, yeah, it's a good time to count my inhales and exhales. And, and just that real focused breathing as we have this tool um, that, that just helps us improve cognitive health, mental health, social health, medical health, that's free. <laughs> Absolutely free. And it is, uh, and it is the best way, you know, uh, that's the, that's the coolest thing. Um, and like you were saying, Matt, I love that you sneak it in whenever you can, yes. because what is so cool about our system is that when you are doing these things on a regular basis, they start to just happen on their own. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, all of a sudden one day you realize you're just doing it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what, really again, cool. just, uh, my, you know, as the fanboy of RF frequency or RF breathing, like, even though we're not shooting to breathe at that rate all the time, the great thing about that, like belly breathing took me a while to just, now it's unconscious you know, with RF, it's like going to the gym for my autonomic nervous system. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to change. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm breathing healthier because of it. But I, this focus time that I do each day just has that residual impact where it's like going to the gym, go get, go hard. I, I'm going to stop eventually, but I'm going to get the, the positive impact on that goes well beyond after the training has stopped. And as I've seen my like morning readings, uh, RMSSD readings, uh, I tell you what, that RF practice, um, I, it's one of those, I, I could say, hey, I was focusing on recovery, yes, but that doesn't account for like the 80 point increase in average that um, I've been experiencing. And uh, while that's probably atypical, um, you know, it's, I don't think it's a mistake that that happened right when that RF functionality hit our app and I started doing it every day. <laughs> Absolutely no coincidence. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was very cool. That, that vagal function, very big increase with regular RF breathing. Absolutely. Awesome, my friend. Well, thank you so much. Uh, like always, uh, visit us at heartratevariabilitypodcast.com or optimalhrv.com. And, uh, Dave and I have a big announcement, I believe. Hopefully, if everybody's schedules hold out, that will be our next podcast. Yes. Uh, so stay tuned. Big announcement uh, coming in the next episode. So uh, Dr. Dave, always great to see you and can't wait to get my butt on your chair, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks.